Welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focus Compounding. Sitting next to Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how's it going today? Uh, it's going very well, Andrew. How's it going with you? It's going great. We hope it's going great for everybody else as well. Hey, if this is the first time that you are tuning in, uh, be sure to check out all of our content. Follow me on Twitter at Focused Compound. Um, and then be sure to check out our app, uh, www.focuscompound.com slash app. Uh, $7.95 a month, you get access to our 200 plus backlog of uh, podcast episodes. And then also Jeff and I are uploading uh, frequent videos. I actually have about four videos that we are going to record uh, today after we get through these podcasts. So yes, uh, you also get a 2000 word article from me every day. And then you also get a 2000 word article from Jeff every single day as well. So lots of content, such a value investment. If you ask me $7.95 a month. Um, so be sure to check that out. Focuscompound.com slash app. So a lot of people have reached out to you that okay. you've told me uh, asking about Bank of America. Correct. And the reason behind that is because Buffett has up his stake in Bank of America. I think that's really mm. the only stock that's been like public uh, that he's really like purchased or raised or yes. added to. Since I don't know of anything happened. else recently. Yeah. Uh, certainly not enough to the point of where he, he would have to like amend a filing or anything like that. But he did buy more uh, Bank America, I think about a week ago. So naturally, a lot of people have been very curious about it and just curious about banks in general mm-hmm. and especially how that you know, how they're trading. And you said on a recent podcast that you think if you bought like a basket of banks that you think that uh, they'll do, you know, pretty good over the next 10 years. I think you said that on a recent I think banks podcast. are the cheapest. In, uh, banks are one of the cheapest industries. Mm-hmm. I've looked at some small things in energy and retail and stuff. There's some very small retailers and energy producers and stuff that are cheap too, but severely distressed. Banks aren't distressed. Mm-hmm. So we have Bank of America pulled up on quick FS. We'll try talking out loud as best as possible for people that are listening on the podcast side, mm-hmm. uh, if you do want to sign up for a quick FS, make sure you tell them that you came from Focus Compounding. Uh, currently trading, uh, I'll round up at 11 times earnings. Um, let's see, the return on equity is about 6%. 10 year median returns of return on asset is about 1%. Um, revenue has gone from 51.5 billion in 2010 to 48.8 billion in 2019. So there's been yeah. um, a little bit of a decline there. Um, let's see, but it looks like earning assets have a 10 year CAGR of 1.6. And then something that you pay a lot of attention to deposits Mm -hmm. have grown at a 10 year CAGR of about 4%. Have you ever actually looked uh, pretty deeply at bank of America? I know you actually recently wrote about it uh, on one of your focus compound daily. It's just kind of talking about if you want to like use it as an example to, you know, reverse engineer Buffett and stuff like that. Right. I have not looked very closely at Bank of America. Of the biggest banks in the U.S., I've looked more at Wells Fargo and J.P. Morgan in the past. Um, the only bank that, big bank that I've looked at in great detail, I would say, uh, is if you, is Wells Fargo. Um, in terms of reading the 10K and the FDIC things and, and things like that. Um, JP Morgan, I've read their annual reports and things. Uh, I guess if you count U.S. Bancor, I've looked at that too, and that was a Buffett holding. Mm-hmm. But more U.S. Bancor and uh, Wells Fargo than Bank of America. And there are reasons for that historically, um, but not necessarily now. Uh, things have changed at Bank of America. But say 10 years ago or something, there were things about Bank of America that made it out, so I wasn't interested. Like what? Uh, well, not 10 years ago, I guess. Well, maybe 10 years ago, but a little bit before then. I didn't like the management that was in place and some of the things that they were doing. Um, they acquired some things and they were in some businesses that I didn't like as much. And since then, 
since Buffett's investment and stuff, they've gotten out of a bunch of things, have focused on a business that, you know, the core business that they're in, and they're maybe more similar to Wells Fargo now. Got it. Um, okay, so when you're looking at like a big bank of like Bank of sure. America, what are some things that you would be okay. concerned about? Like what are the drivers to investment? Right. Thesis? So here's the easiest way to do it. What's the 10-year median ROA? 10-year median ROA is 0.6%, so just under 1%. Okay. And then what's the price to book? Price to book is 0.8. Okay. So price to book is low, and then the median ROA is low. However, the median ROA is important for two reasons. So there's two factors here. One is the amount of leverage the bank uses. And the thing is all banks have used very low leverage for the last 10 years or so. And we could look at that loans to deposits. So if you just look at loans to deposits, that's kind of a good gauge of it. The other way is earning assets. The way I would prefer to use it is earning assets to equity. So he actually has that right here, capital structure. Yeah. It says 6.8. Right. So 10 would be more normal in normal times historically. Okay, so what does that mean? So it means they're only leveraging up about seven times, their ROA times seven is about the return you'll get historically for the last 10 years, whereas times 10 makes more sense uh, in terms of how the bank should be structured and stuff. So the reason for that, you can see in loans to deposits probably. So if you go to loans to deposits, do you see that ratio? And is he doing it as loans divided by deposits? Is that the way he's doing it or deposits divided by loans? Um, Let's see, it's loans. Uh, it's LLR divided by loans. No, that's loan loss reserves. Um, so just go to the line loans divided by deposits. Loans to deposits is a percentage down there. It'll be between like 60 and 100 a lot of the time. Where is this, Adam? Oh, I'm sorry. Um, let's see. Earning assets to equity, earnings per share. Here we go. Loans to deposits, 69%. The 69% is very low. Now, there's some banks who've gone lower than that. In the middle of the crisis in Texas 30 years ago or so, Frost was under 40%, significantly under 40%. That's why they didn't go under um when every other bank nine out of the other 10 top banks went did go under yeah it looks like in 2010 there were 96 percent right and so the end 2010 that's coming down from earlier so if you look at what do they have over there in the right is that return on equity what do they have on the the graph that they show for the last 20 years or so correct yeah so you see how return on equity used to be really high then it dropped lower and it stayed low since then and that's why a lot of people don't think banks are attractive because they think okay there's a new environment in which they won't have as much leverage and they won't have as much whatever sorts of things stuff like that um i think that's unlikely for a few reasons one government policy the most stimulative thing the government can do right now is to um, take off all limitations on leverage, let banks go crazy, lending as much as possible. That's the main reason why expanding the Fed's balance sheet doesn't do much for the economy is because it has to be transmitted through banks to small businesses and medium businesses and even pretty large businesses. Um, and so without doing that, you're not going to get a lot of stimulation of the economy. Um, you're also not going to get a lot of inflation. Um, but that's one part of it. The other part is just that these things tend to be very cyclical. Uh, we were talking to a banker before and he was saying how in his entire career until about the, after the 2008 um, crisis, he never had the problem of lending out all of his deposits. And then he that became the biggest problem for him after that. That was never something he considered in his career would be a problem. He was doing CNI lending in, in um, Texas mm-hmm. and had been for his whole career. And never had a problem until the last 12 years. And since then, every bank's had a problem. So so all of them are under leveraged. So they're all under earning their potential. Now, the other thing with Bank of America is that the ROA part of it is also under earning. So if you want to think about like a DuPont analysis, what is your pre uh, pre-provision, pre-loan losses, what are you making? 
And then how does that translate into ROA because of your loan losses? And then how does your ROA translate into your ROE? If you can get a double whammy, if you have a situation in which a bank looks like it's earning very little ROE, because one, it's under leveraged ROE divided by ROA is um, low because it's um, assets divided by equity is low. And we saw that it's mm-hmm. seven instead of like, I'd say 10 or something was what it might've been two decades ago. And then the other factor is, are their loan loss reserves high in the past? And if they were, that's a one, I don't want to say one time because Bank of America could find ways to make bad loans again, but let's go through the loan loss reserves and what years they were. Sure. So uh, loan loss reserve, uh, two loans. That line, mm-hmm. 2010, 4.3, 2011, 3.6, 2012, 2.6, 2013, 1.9, 2014, 1.6, 2015, 1.4, um, then it just continues to decline. 2016, 1.2, 2017, 1.1, 2018, 1%, Um, Those are extremely high ones in 2010, but this is a little confusing because Bank of America, if they're doing meaningful amounts of mortgage lending, mortgage lending is very weird uh, residential for um, the more plain vanilla sorts of things. What happens is you have no losses or very low losses for a long time, and then you have very high losses in terms of charge-offs and things. And then it goes away again. And that's what happened there. It's similar to like agricultural lending. So if you look at agricultural lending, there's like fraud and mistakes that companies make. But other than that, there's like two huge bubbles set off by like 50 years or something. Um, U.S. mortgage thing, same thing. Huge losses uh, in after the 29 bubble, huge losses after the 2008 bubble, 2007 or whatever. So um, you have that kind of thing, which is different from like CNI, which we could analyze because each recession you'll have meaningful losses in it or some other riskier things, whatever riskier, but uh, you know, whether it's RV things or stuff like that, we'll just see more regular losses all the time, credit card things, stuff like that. Um, what do you think is like a good return on asset for like the average, I guess, for a, a bank and like a return on equity. One to 2% return on assets and leverage of depends on the situation, but eight to 12 times levered that up, mm-hmm. I would say. So it depends on the bank. And some banks will have situations where they might want low uh, leverage because of some of the things that they're doing. Um, on the other hand, some will have high. Let's look at BOH, Bank of Hawaii, I think will use higher leverage than Bank of America, let's look at that. So what's their 10-year median uh, ROA? Give me the 10-year medians on like uh, just all of them, basically. Yeah, 10-year median on ROA, 1.2. 10-year median on ROE, 16% if you round up. Okay. Um, uh, 10-year, you know, it's trading 11 times earnings, 10-year median margins. I mean, what else do you want here? I mean, Yeah, so they're they're maintaining a leverage ratio of about, fi- of, um, what is that? That's about, um, you said, what was the number? For return equity? Yeah. 16%. 16 versus 1.2. Okay. So there you go. So that's very meaningful. So that's what about, they're doing that about, um, they're leveraged up over 10 times all the time. So let's see, what was the lowest that they went in terms of leverage on earning assets divided by um, equity? Let's see. The lowest they went to looks like 12 in 2010. Okay. So the way they're doing that is they have a dividend, right? Mm -hmm. But the mainly doing it through buybacks. 
So that lets them maintain their um, their capital situation, which is very important for a bank. So a bank's returns will be poor if it gets itself overcapitalized um, because the leverage will come down that mm -hmm. you would have naturally. So you can see the ROA here at Bank of Hawaii, I don't think in normal times is actually better than Bank of America. So the return on equity is much higher, right? We have a return on equity advantage of like 10% over the last 10 years over Bank of America. But why would Buffett like Bank of America? Because I honestly think it's as good as Bank of Hawaii in terms of the actual deposit franchise and things like that. Mm -hmm. Bank of Hawaii just didn't make the mistakes that Bank of America did make. And some of that's just luck because they happen to be located in Hawaii. And some of it is that they um, didn't acquire stuff. How would you judge a CEO of a bank? Because I feel like the only... CEO of like a very large bank that you ever hear anybody talk about is Jamie Dimon. And I actually just tweeted out a podcast that you sent to me mm -hmm. that was like an hour long. He was talking about a lot of different things. I tweeted out, uh, be sure to check it out. It was a really good listen. But what are some things that you would like, how you would judge a CEO of a bank? Uh, I think that's pretty hard. Of a big bank, I think a CEO of a bank has it's not a position where they're likely to have a big effect on the return in the stock. Okay. It's pretty small. So a smaller bank, big effect, but at a bigger bank, much less effect, a big diversified bank. I don't think that who runs bank of America or JP Morgan or whatever is necessarily that important or Wells Fargo or any of those. Um, it matters for some things. They have weird things that have to do with government regulation and perceptions of the company mm -hmm. and stuff like that. They make some capital allocation decisions that we didn't get into, but each of these very big banks, have some different areas to the bank. And so that's a little complicated. These aren't pure banks. So like JP Morgan is in probably like four different things, I would guess. I mean, depends if you count government things that they do too and stuff, then even more. But um, they basically have like an investment bank. They have like a wholesale commercial part to their business. They have more of like a um, similar to a regional bank. So more similar to Wells Fargo with most of their businesses and more similar things. We talk about like Frost and Prosperity and stuff like that. And that's probably the best part of them. Mm. Um, and I think they break that down sometimes. Some of their businesses have fairly low uh, returns or require a great deal of leverage, like investment banking and stuff requires a great deal of leverage. Um, so it's not as good a business as like the core banking that you see at um, the retail part of their business, which is good. How would you think about the valuation of Bank of America? So 11 times earnings, it's, return on equity is 5.6%. It's very cheap. So like, how would you go through though, like, Okay, I so I don't care about price to book. Most mm -hmm. people do, but I don't. But we can use price to book as a way of doing this. Um, the way that you could do it for price to book is that you just do two assumptions, uh, mainly two assumptions. You just need to know what do you think loan loss reserves should be normally. And then you need to know what do you think leverage will be normally. And this is where it would get very controversial talking with people. What tends to happen is that banks have very long cycles because interest rates have very long cycles. The cycles here are about the same length as like shipbuilding. Interest rates and shipbuilding are pretty similar. So almost 20 years is the kind of cycles that you would see. So if um, and that's just a general thing. It could be a 40 year cycle. So for a lot of people who spent their career on wall street or something, they've only seen falling interest rates. Really. They've never seen rising interest rates. They've generally seen falling inflation, things like that. So because of that, it feels like you're going to have a period where returns are very low and people aren't going to need loans and things like that. Um, now, and then you had boom period before that, right? Um, and so things have permanently changed in banking and stuff. I don't really believe that. Um, I just think this is the kind of thing that happens all the time. And if you read books on the early 1950s and, and periods in the 1940s and stuff in banking right after the war, it doesn't feel that different to me than now. Um, it feels 
pretty similar um, in, in the things that people would say. So I just think that you're going to have a more normal leverage ratio eventually. Uh, in fact, it might happen really fast because of COVID. We've seen that. I mean, some banks have grown their balance sheet 20, 30% in a quarter because of COVID. And that is going to result in a big increase in leverage. But because uh, of the PPP loans? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also because everyone drew all their credit lines. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Um, and so if we look, let's see. Um, uh, loan loss reserves now are running at about 1%. Mm-hmm. It's kind of normal. I mean, I don't know enough about all the different categories that they uh, lend in and stuff. There'll be extraordinary years where those reserves are a lot higher or charge-offs are a lot higher than 1%. But like in most years, I wouldn't be surprised if they have about a 1%. So that's what you'll see. But I just want to warn people once every 10 years, it'll hit 4% or something weird like that. So when you actually average it out, it's not as good as it looks right now. But say 1%, then what are they leveraged at right now? They're earning assets divided by equity. Um, let's see, earning at seven times, seven times. So they could go to 10. So if they went to 10 times, that would mean that you're talking about what, let's like a 40% increase, I think something like that. So you'd be about 1.4 times higher. Um, and then we have, uh, let's see. So what's their ROE as of last year? Uh, let's see. most recent year. Let's do their ROA. The ROA was it says ten year median returns. Well, uh, let's just do last year. Don't. Return on assets one point one. Return on equity last year ten point three. Okay, so I, I would guess it would be about fifteen. So it would be about fifteen uh, percent. So a normal year for Bank of America in the future should be about fifteen percent. Their banks are also fairly protected from inflation and stuff like that. They are, earn their earnings in cash pretty quickly. Most of their um, portfolios roll off pretty fast, turn back into cash, things like that. Um, so they are more protected than other things from inflation. Um, not that inflation is good for them or something, but that's a possibility. Are you surprised that Buffett added to Bank of America instead of Wells Fargo? No. Is that because of everything that's been going on with Wells Fargo over the past couple of years or what? Oh, it's trading more expensive. I think Bank of America, I think stuff has happened with Wells Fargo and I think Bank of America is much cheaper. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Bank of America seemed to me to be pretty cheap for a pretty long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it seems to match what, how Buffett invests in banks, which is he does the adjustments for the two things that we talked about, basically. So he like adjusts for the amount of loan losses. So, for instance, when he bought Bank uh, Wells Fargo for the first time ever, he bought in a year in which they reported basically no earnings. Um, that's typical. Let's see. Type in PKBK so I can show you an example. Let's see if it goes back far enough. What... Uh, so that's Park Bank. What is their um, uh, what were their loan loss reserves in 2010? Loan, uh, let's see, loss reserves 2010, 2.3 percent. Okay, so here's the problem. This so we don't have enough data on this one. The problem is there's a difference between charge offs and loan loss reserves, and um, some other things like that. And we're not going back far enough, but they had some pretty serious. Um, loan issues there they as you can see have higher loan losses all the time right Mm -hmm. Uh, or they reserve more yeah yeah because they're making riskier loans basically um but this is a good example i was going to say because this stock was very cheap i don't know if you can get a stock chart but going back to like 2009 2010 that even 2010 that's just a 10-year chart will probably be enough to give you an idea um it was a very cheap stock so what did it was it in 2010 
2010 looks like in the four area. Okay. And what was their reported earnings per share in 2010 or their reported, uh, if we go back there, let's see EPS in 2010, 72 cents. Okay. So there you go. So that means that there were, what is that? That's five to six times earnings. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was pretty cheap then. Um, and, and that was in a period in which everyone would have assumed that banking would recover more and more. So you're getting five to six times earnings and then you're expecting earnings to recover a lot. Um, now is a different story, right? But that's the kind of thing that Buffett would buy or something is when they have that period where their loan loss reserves are kind of high or their charge offs are high at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's currently trading at five times earnings today. Yeah, which is probably for a different reason, which is probably has to do with net interest margin and stuff. But yeah. Um, and what's the stock price? Stock price is $11.69. Right. So you have something that's almost tripled probably from the bottom of whatever it is, and it's still trading at like five times earnings. Mm-hmm. Banks are very cheap right now, I think, because of people's concerns about the net interest margin. Um, I'm not sure exactly why, though, in the case of Park, because the weird thing is that Park um, actually doesn't have very high non-interest uh, uh bearing deposits it gets its deposits more from like time deposits like cds and stuff and so because of that if short-term interest rates are very low um and the bank still is able to make loans uh further out that are a pretty steep curve then it's actually going to make a lot of money Mm -hmm. so we talked about that with some banks where some banks actually benefit from the fact of if very short-term rates are cut Mm -hmm. and the fed has much more control over very short-term rates than very long-term rates you know what you'll see happen in terms of like um rates that people don't want to go up going up is it won't be on the very shortest part of the curve it's easy for the fed to control that it's much harder for them to control things further out like actually um what banks pay each other to uh borrow uh, and to deposit money like overnight and stuff is something that's very easy to control um cds to some extent stuff like that but the stuff that won't be easy is like what actually can a corporation borrow at for five or ten years which is what matters more to banks usually or at least to this bank it does matter more so that's how you you know you figure out with um that that buffett might have bought something like that back in um 2010 or something and he i bet he would buy a lot of banks today if he could he's somewhat limited on that Mm mm-hmm um, you can look at like JP Morgan. He did buy some JP Morgan. He had owned it personally. Um, I mentioned U S bank He's owned a company that, uh, he was on MT- MTB, the Buffalo bank and things like that. Um, but you know, he, he's limited in terms of how much he can do of a really big size. And that's the biggest thing I would say is if you look at bank of America, um, what do you, what's the market cap on that? Bank of America has a $218 billion market cap. Mm hmm. And I wouldn't be surprised if one day it has over $500 billion market cap. I mean, like if you were just appraising it as to what it probably is worth, it's worth, it's probably trading at 50 to 70% of what it's actually worth, like in normal times. I don't know if we'll reach normal times or what those are, but you know, it's certainly as a stock that he could own and have a position and it could be a, a well over half a trillion dollars worth mm-hmm. that eventually. Cool. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with Jeff and I on the Focused Compounding Podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure you hit the subscribe button. And of course, if you want to get access to all the other content that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, Jeff's 2,000 word write-ups, um, uh, some videos, and then of course, the pa- podcast backlog, go to focuscompounding.com slash app and be sure to sign up. Seven ninety five dollars a month helps. Everyone likes this old line. Helps keeps the lights on of everything okay. that we're doing. Uh, we're definitely very appreciative of it. I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in. 
tuning in and we will see you in the next podcast.